Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Inside Groove, the official Supermodified podcast. And looking forward to this week's show because we're going to be talking with a driver that I personally looked forward to watching throughout his career, but especially back in the late 70s when he first came to Oswego. One of the things that I always find myself thinking back on is that era the 1970s and it i think a lot of it's because to me as a young race fan growing up in that decade the variety of different super modified cars that we saw racing weekly the unbelievable amount of talent from all corners of the usa and even obviously canada who would come to race at the track at different times throughout that decade and the the competition was just spectacular and dave schillick senior was a driver that i remember anticipating coming to oswego i remember hearing and reading about him And how well he was doing in Ohio uh, through that period and couldn't wait till the day when he would come to race at Oswego. And he finally did in the uh, latter part of that decade. And I especially remember 1979 when he had that uh, two-day spurt back-to-back of winning. I think uh, we had rained out the Port City or we'd rained out a regular show prior to the Port City. I can't remember which. But he ended up winning them both, which was pretty amazing. And that Port City race was such a race of attrition, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Dave and hearing about how he got his start and um, how he felt about DJ obviously following in his footsteps and uh, just uh, having some fun talking about those days with him and just some of the stories and highlights that i remember about dave's career and i'm sure he'll bring up a few as well of his own so um for those of you who don't know my name it's tom baker i assume most of you've been listening to this show for a while at least now i don't know what episode we're on we're still in the 20s somewhere i keep getting confused um that's been camden proud's job to keep me straight on the episodes but of course camden's been traveling the world lately seeing rick springfield shows and running uh, off to florida to celebrate his and his dad's birthdays and now i think he's in italy somewhere tonight so um look forward to uh, having cam back when he uh replants his feet on uh u.s soil again <laughs> for a little while um i've been asked about shows for the holidays and i just want to make sure everybody understands i'm going to be spending lord willing about 10 days maybe a couple of weeks in december 
up there for Christmas and New Year's and depending on the weather and um, how many people I can get to see over that time period to spend some time with talking. Uh, I My goal is to get a, a number of shows done. Uh, and though obviously the holidays uh, are back-to-back weeks, Christmas and New Year's, we... Uh, uh, my my intention would be to still try to put a couple of shows together uh, during those weeks and get them out because there's just so many people to talk to and I'm only up there for a limited time so I'm going to try to make uh, good use of that and uh, let as many people as possible uh, talk with you about their plans for 2020 and um, so I have a target list, not going to share it all, but, uh, <laughs> I have a target list of folks I want to try to get to, uh, to talk to while I'm up there in person, because in some cases, I think it'll be easier with some of them to try and get them in person than it is even to try and get them on the phone. So with all that being said, I want to start off as I always do by thanking our sponsors. Uh, you heard, of course, uh, Jeff West, uh, Indie Performance Composites, ipcindy.com, our main sponsor. Uh, they're always in our opening and closing billboards. But uh, I want to, with every show that goes by, I want to make sure that I personally thank them because uh, we really appreciate all that they have done for us for this year to um, help make the show possible. And also uh, uh, Sean Cathcart and the staff at Skip's Fist Fry. If you're in town, you know the drill. If you're in a swiggle, Go eat there. I can't wait to uh, get back up there and get some fish. I have about four or five restaurants I always try to get to while I'm there for any length of time. And uh, Skip's is right up at the top of that list because I love fish and the South does not do good fish. Don't tell the folks around here I said so. Um, And, of course, uh, JNS Paving, Rich Worth, and uh, his group. Uh, looking forward to getting up. Hopefully, uh, we'll get a good weather day. I want to go out and see Rich and uh, and and uh, the Dates family and get you an update on what's going on with the restoration of the Kemp Dates car. That should be uh, a lot of fun. I can't wait to see the car, and I can't wait to see Kemp. Um, just uh, hearing that story from Jody and just the, uh, the enjoyment that Kemp has gotten out of that and is getting out of it um, is... Definitely a, a treat for sure. So, uh, again, without further ado, uh, we're going to step aside when we come back because really there isn't a lot of news to talk about per se. Although I'm working on something that I hope to have be able to talk about on next week's show, it does involve a swiggo, and that's all I'm going to say because I don't know what else I'm allowed to say. <laughs> so, I will, uh, We'll hopefully have something for you next week, um, and but we're gonna we're gonna just get right into the interview with Dave Schulich around the turn, uh, and kind of make this show a, a a little bit shorter than normal, uh, and uh, of course depending on the length of his interview. But um, I'm not gonna bore you any longer. We're gonna step aside, take a commercial, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Dave Schulich. We will be right back on the Inside Groove. Stay with us. Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider, complete motorcycle air suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. 
Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider Air Shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove, and as promised, on the Inside Groove hotline is none other than Dave Schillick, uh, a driver that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have been looking forward to sitting down and talking with for a while. Uh, again, Dave, as I, as, as I talked about at the, uh, the start of the show, um, when you came to Oswego in the late 70s, I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. I had been a fan uh, I've been going since 1973, and I was one of those young kids who read pretty well for his age and was really hooked on racing instantly the first time I went. So I was, it was the Gator, it was uh, Speedway scene, it was whatever was available back then, of course, plus the program. Right. So I was very well aware of um, your, what was going on uh in Ohio and in New England, and I I just couldn't wait to see you come to Oswego, and it didn't take long for you to make a pretty big impact. Yeah, we uh, we we got pretty lucky pretty fast there. Uh, our very first time there, we came for a classic and didn't well run well, broke down, whatever. But then we we came back in '79 for a regular show and the uh, I guess they call it back then the Port City. Port City, yeah, yeah. You uh, we, we ran pretty well. That we won both shows. You did, yeah. I remember that, and they were back to back too. It was one right, of those. Yeah, um, one was a Saturday, one was a Sunday. Yeah, and, yep. Uh, and you you ended up winning them both. What what brought you to why then? What brought you to Oswego when you came? Was it sort of a a situation where that was the first time you felt like you had equipment capable of competing, or what? Um, what led you to come for that classic uh, the first time? Well, we were pretty much dominant in Ohio. We, you know, we had won everything pretty much every week, and we were ready to move on to you know something bigger and better. And and we came to Oswego the first time with a car that wasn't real competitive, but nonetheless, uh, it was it was a good first time learning. And then uh, Jim Bodnar built a new car over the winter, and 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 I was driving for Jim Bodnar back right. back yep. then. And he had built a new car, and uh, it was. He says, "Hey, he says uh, the the Port City had rained out. And he says they're going to run the regular show on Saturday and the Port City on Sunday. He says uh, it'd be worth making a trip because you get get to run in actually two shows. So, I, you know, and I pretty much I'd go anywhere to race any time. You know, back then we were <laughs> yeah. pretty young. You know, we yep. we didn't care where we went. So I said, you know, hell, let's go. So uh, off we went and." As we as we're towing up, and I'm riding with him, he he says he says well, if you jokingly says if you win tonight, he says I'll pay you fifty percent. I said, oh, okay. Well, there's an incentive. <laughs> well, lo, lo and behold, we won. <laughs> so he, he said the next day, he said, I'm not paying you fifty. <laughs> I was going to ask you if he doubled it the next day. And no, he, no, he didn't. Because uh, it was a long race. Uh, so, so we won the regular show on Saturday, and uh, a lot of people were pretty upset. And they said, Yeah, well, tomorrow will be another story. <laughs> he says, You know. You know, you won't win tomorrow, but but we did the story. You know, as it goes, we did win both shows, and uh, we were a little uh, little surprised ourselves. But you know, we were happy to run well because we really I had no experience without a wing. Right. It's uh, it's a little different. Oh yeah, but, I imagine it is. Yeah. Uh, you just you just drive differently, but we figured it out pretty fast. 
How did you get started in racing? What got you started? We we interviewed your son uh, earlier this year, and uh, he talked a little bit about how he got started. Of course, you know, family lineage, but uh, how did you get started? Well, I guess my whole family's been in super modifieds from back in the 40s. Oh, wow. They weren't in super modifieds, and they were coupes. My Uncle Pete started it way back in the 40s. And uh, so there was a whole generation ahead of you. Yes, I did absolutely. not realize that. Oh yeah, and my oh, wow. uh, uncle Pete started it, and my two oldest brothers, who were basically old generation ahead of us, uh, they're they're much older. We are me and my twin brother are basically change of life babies. <laughs> the baby of the family at the time was sixteen years old, and the, my oldest brother was married with two kids. Oh wow, Chuck Schulich. Okay. And he had he was a racer. He had had always had super modified the coupes and he he basically took it over from uh my uncle Pete back in the early, early fifties, around the fifty one, fifty two. And uh my brother George, who's a, a super modified racer pretty much his whole life, who's uh his son was Patrick, who raced supers. Right, yep. And that's you know, Tyler Schulich's dad. Yep. And uh, so George was sending money. He was in the Navy and sending money home from the Navy. And Charlie was using it on a race car. Okay. So when George got out of the Navy, he owned a race car. <laughs> Different kind of a savings account, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> One of the interesting stories is uh, that, you know, back then, everybody was pretty much running a flathead Ford. And Chevy had came out with the 283, but you couldn't buy it 283. The only way you got one was in a in a car. Oh, okay. So George bought a brand new 57 Chevy with a 283, and they took the motor out of his brand new car and put it in a race car and put a six cylinder in the 57 Chevy. Oh my! Wow. So that's how that's how devoted our family's been to super modified. That's racing. amazing. Wow, you guys, yeah, you guys are, they were hardcore. Buy a brand new 57 Chevy and pull the motor out of it. That's, uh. Bought the car just for the motor. That's hardcore right there. <laughs> and, and back back then, and, I, and to show you how hardcore they really were, there was a couple years where they would run, go up through Detroit and run at Delaware, Canada on Friday night. Leave there, tow up through Buffalo up to Oswego on Saturday night and run there, and then come back home and run Sunday afternoon in Sandusky Speedway. Wow. And all that towing with an open trailer and a 59 Chevy El Camino. Wow. Well, see, and that was, you know, back then, there was there was an amazing charm and character to the open trailers because you could obviously see the race cars it was there was an energy about seeing a race car of any kind that was driving by you or on the other side of the road or whatever parked somewhere um you know it just for for a race fan you know and and the and the enclosed haulers obviously are more convenient um but you know it takes away a lot of the thrill especially for the you know for being a, a, a younger kid um right but anybody who sees a race car it's an instant rubberneck situation you all you have to turn and look i mean you know it's um it's just an automatic and um boy it just seemed like racers i remember even in the 70s i mean whether it was 
the supermodifieds are, you know, hearing stories about Richie Evans and Jerry Cook and, you know, the guys in the modified that, that toured all over, you know, the East Coast really up and down racing. Um, it just was an amazing time in the sport, I think, back then. Sure. You know? It, uh, you know, things have developed a lot over the years. You For know, sure. Obviously, yep. the cars, the trailers, the haulers, you know. Now it's not, you know, it's just not unusual to see a super modified with a, a big international tractor or something pulling a, you know, yeah. 40, 45-foot trailer and yep. two or three cars. And, you know, the the sport has really evolved, you know, as, as far as super modifieds. Yeah, it definitely has. So when did you actually start then? Uh, 1972. I ran six races, six or seven races and got drafted in the Army. <laughs> oh, wow. So I had just gotten started and Uncle Sam called and I left for the Army. And a few times I came home on leave, and uh, and hang on, I'm doing a podcast interview. <laughs> doing a podcast interview. He'll uh, sign the uh, autograph later. I'm doing I'm doing a handyman job, and uh, <laughs> the owner just came over. Okay. <laughs> so you you talk about seventy two. You you went to the army. Yeah, I got drafted in the Army in 72, and then uh, I came home on leave, and I wrote, got to drive some races uh, when I came home on, on leave. Okay. Then I went to, uh, got shipped to El Paso, Texas, so I didn't get to come home as often, and I actually drove some uh, dirt cars out there while I was in the service. Oh, wow. So you had some experience on both surfaces? Uh, not too much, a little bit on the dirt. Okay. It didn't take much to figure out. I didn't care much for the dirt. <laughs> Well, it seems like as there there are a faction of drivers who enjoy both, but it it seems like it's kind of a polarizing issue. You're either like yeah. one or the other, you know. Right. As right. a fan, I love it all. So. Yeah, my family was you know it was always the pavement racing, you know, Lorain sure. County, Sandusky Speedway were our home tracks. Yeah. Uh, so and then you know Oswego and you know pretty much been to a lot of racetracks i guess over the years you know down here in florida because i live in florida now I okay don't most people realize that i live in brainton florida i've been here a little over two years oh wow okay and uh be great if ismo can put a, a winter series together again oh i did over to tampa the the sunshine speedway there and then volusia my understanding is there's about three tracks down there that would probably open their checkbooks fairly well to to bring the supers but you know i i just have to wonder i mean it's hard enough to get the guys to travel to oswego or delaware canada let alone you know coming down and, and running in florida and it's really kind of a shame because those winter series were awesome and yeah, they were a lot of fun I think they brought a, an exposure to the division that, you know, it really, and now with all of the social media and the ability to sort of promote it to the world, um, you know, I think uh, it would even multiply the interest more. But, you know, you got to get the guys to travel, and a lot of them just simply don't want to do it, and that's too bad. Well, it's gotten very expensive. You know, yeah. the price of fuel has gone way up from yep. what it was back then. And- yep. Yeah, it's just just that's a lot of things. Well, a lot of guys tear their cars down completely and and get them ready for the season, and and, you know, and their cars just aren't ready in the middle of the season or the middle of the winter. Yeah, yeah, their motors are sent out to be rebuilt, and you know now you got to get a motor builder 
you get your motor back. Some guys, some guys don't get their motor back till one or two weeks before the season starts. Right. Yeah. That's what's tough is is you're lucky to get the cars ready for opening day in May now. Uh, you know, right. it's uh, it's just different. It's a different time. But um, back when back when you first first started, you kind of came in at a at a point where there were still. I mean, I think about drivers that you must have been racing with on a regular basis in Ohio um I mean my gosh drivers that I mean some of them we would see obviously a Swigo too like all Britain and Baldy Baker and you know Gibson I guess for a little while still but um sure you know but but you had I mean the the competition in Ohio alone with with the locals and then I I seem like you always used to get a pretty good group from like Michigan and Indiana to come and run like at Sandusky and, and that as well. Can you talk about some of the guys you used to race with and are there any stories that are, that are funny stories that you can tell us? Uh, probably one of the, and, and, and it, I probably have never said this uh, too much out loud before, but uh, it was with Baldy Baker and it was the, a winner take all type of race. Oh boy. And I, I was leading and with about three laps to go, Baldy Baker passes me on the outside of one and two. He, he, I learned a lot in him from that one pass. When he passed me, he just blew by me. That became my patented pass. Anybody that raced with me, and uh, if I had a guy that was really hard to pass, he got past the number one, just like I got passed. And I learned that move from Baldy Baker. Wow. Baldy was a great driver and, and a great personality too. There were some real characters back in those days. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was a lot of characters back in the day. <laughs> Jack Connolly probably the the king yes. of characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was he the one that got his hair cut in front of the grandstand? I think the one night he was looking at yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And, uh, if I can't beat Swifty and cut my hair, well my <laughs> hair got a little shorter. Yeah, that you know, back in those days people raced for fun. It wasn't so serious. I mean you were obviously serious about winning. But, well, it wasn't as expensive as it is now. You know, true. now it's just so expensive. Yeah. You know, motors are about $50,000 a piece. And yeah, that's The tire bill for the night is two to $3,000 usually. I've said for it, a while that technology in a lot of ways has really kind of hurt the sport. And, I mean, it helps it, obviously, in the safety aspect. But, you know, the more expensive we make it, the less, you know, you go to the racetrack and, as you say, now you got, you know, but... I, I think even back then, I mean, the supers were a little more costly than, say, a sportsman car or whatever. It seems like it was somewhat relative, just probably not to the degree that it is now. The, in my opinion, and we all know what opinions are, but yeah. uh, the, the thing that hurts the super modifieds is they're hand built. Yeah, you know, if you if you want to go sprint car racing, you just order a couple of catalogs. You can open the catalog up, buy a frame, buy a body, buy a rear axle, buy a front axle, buy your bumpers, and sure. bolt it all together, get a motor, bolt your motor in, buy all your parts, and you don't have to weld or bend anything. Just bolt it together and go racing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep, that's very true. And it's, yeah. uh, I think the more... You know, that's what hurts super modifies because, you know, the, the, the guys that are building cars like Joe Hawksby and uh, Pauly Coloca, you know, they've done a lot for the development of super modifies i feel 
because uh, you know they're basically a small operator compared right. to some of the big sprint car chassis. But but you know you can order a set of bumpers and Nerf bars and 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 get your you know yeah get a car together fairly quickly. You know yeah them guys actually even buy a complete race car right yeah well and and again you I mean you had. You had some builders back then. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I started thinking back through even in the 70s. I mean, we, we, we you, you, they may not build the quantity of cars that, say, a Hawksby or a Pauly or, um, yeah, I mean, even Jim Bodner has, you know, built several. But, um, right. Oh, he's he's but, built over 20 cars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, even for he's, production for other people, usually for himself. And he yeah. actually is producing a couple cars now for other people. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And see, that's, you know, that's where I was going is even, I mean, back then, I don't think people thought as much about the fact that Showcar was building X amount of cars a year, or uh, we had that one little spurt with Kemp Dates where he built a bunch. And, and yeah, you Kemp had, and Dates, Bill and, uh Howard Conkey from Showcar, yeah. and I, I had a good relationship with Howard Conkey from yes. Showcar. Yep. I kind of always got the, his latest and greatest creations and was kind of a, like a house driver for them and had a lot of success with it. Yeah, uh, he, he built nice cars. I mean, yeah, he you built know, some really nice cars. But it seemed like in the 70s, it, of course, obviously you could innovate a lot more back then, so people were trying their own designs and doing different things. But we still had those those builders. It's just that they were kind of, they they were doing it, but because I think it, it was still so open competition oriented and it wasn't you know you didn't worry about your tail design or whatever people tried different things um now it's like everybody wants what the other guy has and there's you know only a few guys you know like your your able built theirs and and you know of course chris osetic for keith champagne there's there's a handful maybe that you know that can produce an aero car from scratch and make it work um but for the most part you're going out and buying a hawk or you're you know buying i think paulie's building a car or two over the winter now from what i'm hearing as well um perhaps so you know you've got you've got those two that have kind of dominated the scene for the most part um outside of maybe you know jim but for the most part those two have kind of dominated the arrow portion or chapter of supermodel right. history right right yeah and era and you know back then we didn't realize how important aerodynamics were yeah you know, now now we realize it you know we, yeah. everybody had a, a cow catcher type tail and just a scoop type front nose yeah. and you know, now it's it's gotten the arrows gotten, and you know now Swagel's you know like tried to cut the cost by eliminating the uh, the tail section yep. and went into the uh, single the spec yeah. up on top, and, yeah. and that that has seemed to work for everybody. It's put everybody more on an equal plane there. Yeah, yeah. They just I, I think uh, it, you know the the hard part I think this past year was just trying to make it so that you could actually pass there was there seemed to be people that didn't think it was you know well of course talking with dj he says it's it's actually made it harder to pass because everybody's pretty much as fast as right that's what i'm saying yeah yeah so and you know you can look at you've had a lot of different winners but almost all the winners have come out of the top two rows yep so i don't know you know, I don't know what the next step is as to how to counteract that part because I think if you could, if you could do that, you'd have a great situation. But um, who were, who were some of the drivers of the era, other than obviously your family? Who were some of the drivers that you sort of looked up to and 
kind of said, "Hey, I, you know, I want to, I want to be like that guy." Were there drivers like that for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Todd Gibson was always, you know, he was, he, and I actually did get to race with him. His career was winding down. Yeah. His mind was getting started, but we did get to race together. And, uh, you know, sitting in the stands as a kid, I was watching. It was Tom York, Dick Good. Um, yeah. I've seen, you know, them were my two favorites. And they actually, at one time or another, had both driven for my brother George, Tom okay. York and Dick Good. Okay. You know, so every every week, you know, after the race, we'd run back and get their autographs and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but they were my two favorites. You know, there was there was a guy named Norm Saul that was pretty tough at the local tracks, Lorraine County, Sandusky. You know, there was guys that came out, you know, they actually went to Oswego, Gordon Dukes. Sure. Uh, yep. Uh, Paul Strasser lived in Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah, had the Holinsky car. And yeah. I wonder, why does Paul Strasser live in before I actually went up there, but Paul Strasser lived in Sandusky, Ohio, but raced in Oswego every night. I'm like, <laughs> why would he go all the way to Oswego? He's got a track in his hometown. But, you know, the lure of of Oswego Speedway is, is something special when you actually start racing there, you know? Yeah. And it seemed like back then that was really the I mean, it was, you know, you because even as a fan, I can remember in my early years, the month of August was always an exciting time because you would that's when you would have guys like yourself or or you know the guys from New England Ohio wherever that would come in to try to dial in for classic and you never knew from one night to the next who was going to show up and right. so it made it a, a ton of fun because there was always you know, when you were going out there, it was like, well, who's coming tonight? Who am I going to see that's different tonight? And, um, you know, that was always a fun time, that last month leading up to the Classic uh, when a lot of the guys would come up. I remember Paul very well and, and uh, remember the bad crash he had and um, hurt himself a little bit. And, and Who was that? Paul Strasser. Um, he had oh, a bad yeah. flip down oh, yeah. the backstretch there. Um but yeah, that was a Holinsky chassis he drove, and I think that right. that's and been had, restored. That was a beautiful car. That car's been restored. Yeah, yeah. Indiana, uh, Pat York, Tom okay. York's nephew has it, and has restored the Strasser Roadster. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. There's, you know, there were some really, really beautiful creations back then, and the thing that I loved about it was, you know, if if you if you strip the paint off of every car in the pit area in the in the earlier mid seventies you could still tell whose car was whose because there were so many different designs, you know, sure. and, and it just, that was to me, that was the magical time for the division was back then. And the car counts were robust and, and just the talent that went through the division. And in so many cases went on to whether it was NASCAR or Indy or just, you know, USAC, sprints and midgets whatever um it just seemed like the supers were so vibrant um all over the place do you have a favorite a track in ohio that was kind of your i mean i know there were several i mean you had toledo you had lorraine you had sandusky probably one or two more i'm not even thinking about back then but um do you have a favorite uh as far as the local tracks lorraine county and sandusky were you know obviously my favorite yeah okay uh, they they were totally different tracks, you know. You drove them totally different. Uh, Lorraine County was very very hard to get a hold of handling wise. You, if your car handled good at Lorraine County, it would handle good anywhere. Okay. A lot of guys came even to this day when they have the Isma shows, and they show up at Lorraine County. A lot of cars really struggle trying to get it hooked up on that track. And uh, 
most people have figured out Sandusky because they've had so many ISMA races right. there through the years. So most of the ISMA cars come in, and they're very competitive there pretty quickly. Toledo is is a fun track, you know, but it's it's really fast. It's uh, I a was high wondering bank. what that was like Lar- for a super- half mile high bank. Yeah, because I I've been there. I I went there a couple of times. Um, early 2000s, I think it was. I was I was spotting for a, a late model racer who ran there a couple times, and um, I always I you know I would I would be there thinking, my gosh, if the late models are this fast, what must it have been like to run the supers here, you know? Yeah, there it's fast. There, DJ is a young kid at 17. Uh, you know, long story, we were there racing with my car and his car and he broke a valve qualifying his car and we put him in my car and it blew a left rear well didn't quite blow a left rear but it went flat on him long okay. story there but uh he pounded the first turn wall really hard and broke the front of the car off and gave himself a concussion and Oof. he had a he had a brand new helmet he got it in the mail on thursday broke it on friday <laughs> he, he mailed it back to simpson he he, he sent him a picture of his broken race car and wrote him, told him he was 17 and what he was driving and and uh they sent him a new helmet wow but they and they sent him back his old helmet but they cut the straps off it so he couldn't use it oh <laughs> send it back to him as a souvenir i guess yeah and uh That's but they sent him a new helmet because he'd only had it a day okay wow well you know and that's one of those things um HMS Motorsport is a huge supporter of of our media here, and and those guys that that own that particular business, um, not only do they sell all the top brands of safety equipment, but they've they've helped a lot of the organizations, sanctioned bodies, and whatever to design the safety specifications and such. And um, it's it's always interesting to listen to Joe Marco talk about. You know, you you buy a helmet and you say, well, <clears throat> you know, he'll always say, if you you know, if you get in a serious accident and you and you bang it, you know, if you if if then you know you need to think about buying another one. And he said it's not because any of us just want to sell you another helmet. It's because you don't realize the damage that can be done and how when you it's kind of like the brain when you damage it once, it's now more, <laughs> you know, it's a little less rigid. So you you know. Um, and so you, you never want to take a chance with helmet technology, but I don't, I don't know that, um, he probably would intend that you, you go out and break the thing 24 hours after you got it. Uh, but you know, you just, and, and then on the other token, uh, DJ, now he, he went through two fire suits this year. So oh, yeah, he got his no, money's worth gosh. out of the fire suit. Yeah. I used to buy his fire suit. I said, man, I hope I catch fire just so I get my money's worth. Well, well <laughs> That was always a joke. I said, "Well, he's actually done it." Well, he you, you did it too, though, once in a classic. I remember. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I remember that all too well, and and I um, that's one of those, you know that that always fire scares the crap out of me, and and that was just that. What was I mean? What was that like as a driver? Because you were basically almost trapped in the little. Everybody was kind of on top of you, weren't they? You were on your side, and it was right. Kind of... I, I actually was stuck in there to help. The That's what I thought. Was hung up on the uh, headrest, and okay. it wouldn't wouldn't come loose, and it was getting hotter and hotter. And uh, that was probably just a couple of weeks before uh, uh, the sprint car racer got burned up pretty good. What the heck was his name? Uh, 
Wolf, Doug Wolfgang. Oh, yes, yes. His steering wheel wouldn't release because he had a plastic quick change on the steering wheel, and it melted, melted. together, and it wouldn't yeah. come off, and he couldn't get out of the car, and he, he got burnt pretty well. And that was what actually kind of flashed before my eyes was uh, Wolfgang's accident, you know, and uh, it was getting pretty hot, but actually it just, you know, I kept waiting and pushing and flagging my arms, and nobody came, so I kept pushing and and finally, it just popped loose and let me crawl out of there. Okay, yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was. I, I remember there were about three or four cars in that wreck. I think if, if yeah, well, was Danny Soul and uh, was who all was I in remember. there? I I want to say Tim Snyder, but I don't know if that's. I don't know. I don't think it was Snyder in there, but it might have been. You know, yeah. you know I mean, like you say, I can't I think remember. It is. It's Tim, a, yeah, the wreck. The wreck is actually on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, somebody, somebody yeah. posted it on YouTube. Well, and and again, the miracles of modern technology—it's amazing what you find on there right. anymore. But uh, yeah, you so you had uh, you had at least one little taste of that, and, and it's. Uh, but you had such a career. I mean, I, I I remember I can remember the classics. I mean, you were always good in the classics, and I you know I think about one of the things I wanted to to have you talk about was. Um, w- was it frustrating to finish second to Bentley so many times? It always yeah, seemed like... <laughs> to Bentley and once to Cypress. Yeah, well, finished second three times. So. I feel, you know, and, and you were... I The one time was... Well, the first time, I think, was with Skip's car in 84 with Bentley. I think it was 84. Right. And then the second time was when I think you were driving maybe Tony Lovati. Um you, so the, I was thinking about... Well, the first time was with Jim Bodnar in 70... Uh, 79, I think it was. I think that was the first oh, one. Oh, that was uh, when you finished second to Cyprus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. And, and then uh, the other one was in Skip Matzik's car. 84. And then there yeah, was the one four. where you had the messed up tail at the end. Yeah. I don't remember what year that Gosick ran in the back of it. Everybody was slowing down. And, I don't know. I, I had no remember, idea that tail was bent like that till after the race. It was... <laughs> It was amazing. I mean, you were just so good. What was it about the classic that you just seemed to to do well in? Was it just kind of fit your driving style, or uh, I think it was. You know, and, and same way with DJ, he seems to do really well in the classics. You know, he's yeah. always in. You know, he's actually won it, so you know that's a plus for the family because we, we've yeah. turned awful hard. Oh. But uh, just a very smooth driving style. Try not to spin the tires. Don't come off the corner sideways. Just being very smooth, patient, and uh, try to be smart with your equipment. Yeah, yeah. What was it back? Was it? Do you think it was harder back in the, in the day to run the classic, or is it harder now with the newer cars to run the classic? Do you have? I mean, I know you you obviously have been out of it for a little while, but just for observation. Well, back then, I would say probably back then. Because I think the quality of tires is better now. Yeah, you know the tires seem to stay on the cars a little bit better. You know, we I was on a Goodyear deal for a few years where I was running Goodyear. Some of the guys were running the Hoosiers. Hoosiers, yep. You know, and so you know it was never everybody wasn't equal on the same tires. You know, right? And the tires just didn't hold up like they do now. They seem these tires seem to hold up a whole lot better than they did back then. So you really had to you couldn't run. It's hard earlier in the race like you do now. seems like these guys can run at a lot stronger pace uh, a lot longer. Well, Tyler Thompson sure did this year <laughs> for a yeah, while he did. anyway. He did ask my son, DJ. <laughs> yeah. so he, got, he tried to pace himself a little bit. He, oh, he got second you know, behind Tyler. 
you got to run at them a couple of times, but you, uh, you you get one like that every once in a while where the car is just that doggone good, and right. you know it's uh, it's crazy. But what uh, what, what I suppose for you as a dad, it was pretty much a natural that DJ was going to be a racer. I mean, was there any apprehension at all about uh, him kind of carrying on the the family legacy? No, not at all. He uh, We actually started in quarter midgets with him. He yeah. started down at the schoolyard in a quarter midget at four years old. He couldn't tie his shoes, but he could drive the race car. <laughs> yeah. a, you know, I announced some, some go-kart races and such, and you know, I always try to convey to the spectators that are that go to these races that, you know, these kids are five or six in some of the classes. You know, it's like think about when you were five, you know, you're just trying to learn to read and <laughs> whatever, and you got all these racing flags and what they mean and you know, it's a lot to it's a lot to process and it's amazing that these kids at you know five six or seven or whatever that they're able to do as well as they do in these quarter midgets and carts and whatever yeah you know it takes a lot of work with them and uh you know you just you just got to work with them and you know, they, they don't even really understand what it is they're doing at that young age you no. know and, and you get pretty frustrated with them pretty fast you know <laughs> yeah. you know, dj quite a few times you know he, He'd be cranking on the steering wheel, and I'd yell at him. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, Dad, I'm racing. I said, if, you'll see, if I see you turn that steering wheel one more time, we're going home. Because yeah. I was trying to get him to be really smooth. Yeah. yeah. Boy, you don't really have to turn the steering wheel much. Just just give it a little arc, and the car will roll in a turn. You know, and these kids, they're, you know, they want to saw the steering wheel off the car. I was like, no way. Well, you have this, I think, as a little kid, because I remember even with myself, I had this perception when I, when I first started watching racing that there's a lot more movement on the wheel, I think, that there actually is. I think you kind of, the cars go by so quick and you might see just a little bit of a hand motion, but, you know, you're little and everything's magnified, the sound and all of that. So it's like you don't, you don't really understand, but you're right. Obviously, you don't want to, you don't want to turn the wheel any more than you have to. You don't want to obviously, put any more brake than you have do you want to be smooth on all the all the pedals um you know and it's it can be hard to teach that sometimes to a five or six year old Uh, when you have a one-cylinder motor a stock one-cylinder motor every time you turn the steering wheel you're slowing down right exactly you're scrubbing the tires and and you have to obviously turn it to make it go around the corner but you want to make it a minimal as possible yeah for sure um it, uh, it it's just fun. It's fun watching the the kids at that age. And DJ obviously, once he got into the supers, he obviously picked it up very quickly. Yeah, he won the high mile Sandusky high mile at seventeen years old. He's yeah. a sophomore in high school. Yeah, it's and they disqualified him for being too light, which was oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Well, and that and that kind of was a raw deal for him. I felt bad because at the time they disqualified him. It was my spare car, and we didn't know why that car was light. We knew the car was close on weight, but we knew it was legal when we left home. Right. And I had no plans on running that car. It was just my spare car. But then he broke a motor, a Bill Port motor, in his car. So Jim Bodnar said, well, let's put him in, in the 38 car. And uh, so, and we knew it was legal. We wouldn't have, would have never put him in. But what actually happened was... It had a stock stock Chevy block, and it cracked the cylinder. Ah. And water was going out through the cylinder, so you never saw it throwing water. It was going out through the exhaust, but there was no water in the radiator 
we did not realize it after the race. I see. Okay. And we always ran a bigger radiator. So I think he was 20, 24, 26 pounds light. Well, water weighs seven pounds a gallon. So if you've got four gallons of water in your, between your block and your radiator, he was illegal. That, but that didn't win the, I mean, that didn't. Well, it, it wasn't a competitive advantage, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't no, a competitive he, advantage. But, you know, we could have argued that point had we known it, but we didn't, you know, realize it until the next day when we got home why that car was light. So right. Light was light. We, we didn't understand where the, where the weight went. We knew what it weighed, and we put it on our scales, and uh, and it was light. Like, what the hell's going on? Oh. You know, and then we started looking at things and started putting water in the radiator, and, oh, here's the problem. Jeez. It had, had a cracked block, and then the water went right, right out through the cylinder and out the exhaust and, you know, wasn't throwing. Because it was a red flag somewhere around halfway through the race. And DJ jumps out of the car and he runs back to me. He says, Dad, the water pressure gauge ain't moving. I said, well, don't look at it. Just keep driving. <laughs> well, he didn't know. He, he was 17 years old. What the hell did he know about race, right. about race cars? You know, he, I said, just don't even look at it. Just keep driving. Man. And, uh so I don't know how much water was actually in it at that point, but we ran a really good synthetic oil called Triple Logic back then. And that I couldn't believe that motor with no water in the, in the radiator actually finished that race. That is amazing. It's amazing. You know, you, you, especially if you wonder how long it was actually out of water. Right, exactly. How many laps, you know, did he go with basically nothing? That's uh, that's unbelievable. That was Dave Schulich Sr. We hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Uh, haven't had the chance to spend an awful lot of quality time talking with Dave over the years, so it was good to be able to do that and look forward to talking with him some more a little bit down the road. I know there are many more stories and many more uh, memories and pieces to his career that we didn't cover in this particular interview. So thank you very much to Dave Schulich for taking the time to talk with us we're going to step aside just for a moment and we'll be back to wrap things up for inside groove this week stay with us hms motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety hms serves the majority of nascar indycar and imsa WeatherTech teams as well as countless scca and club level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout north america their representatives are experts on making your track driving as safe as possible you have family and friends who care about you so don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety stop into HMS Motorsport, visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a Facebook message and tell them the folks from Race Chaser Media sent you. Welcome back to uh, The Groove and uh, we're going to conclude this week's episode. We want to thank uh, our sponsors once again, JNS Paving, Skips Fish Fry, and Indy Performance Composites, ipcindy.com for all they do to support the show and really, really excited about uh, what's coming up ahead of us here as we get into the holiday season and I hope to, uh, again, continue to work with Camden and, and uh, others to bring the best super modified content we can and to tell as many stories as we can because that's more important. The show is not about me, nor is it about cam unless he's unless it's something to do with his racing it's really about uh, you the fans and it's about the drivers and the people in the sport who make it special so until next time for camden and for everyone who helps to bring this show to you each week my name is tom baker it has been my pleasure to present to you another episode 
of Inside Groove. Have a great week and weekend, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.